Hello and welcome to Women on Top with Holly Madasser, where the conversations focus on women, wealth, and social change. Holly and her guests, who represent many different fields, engage in transparent conversations that reflect professional and personal struggles as well as accomplishment. Some are making strides to address societal problems. Others have chipped away at the proverbial glass ceiling. All are supporting the financial future and well-being of women. Through these conversations, we learn about embracing a purpose and lifting others up while ensuring our own future success. Now, here's your host, Holly Madasser. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Women on Top with Holly Madasser. I'm joined today by Jamie Davis, North Carolina Board Special Certified Specialist in Family Law. Hi, Jamie, and welcome. Hi, Holly. Thank you for having me. Yes, tell us a little about yourself for our audience. So I am a family law attorney. I have been a co-managing partner at Gaylor Hunt, Davis, Taylor & Gibbs in Raleigh, North Carolina. I practice exclusively in the area of family law and have done so for about 21 years now. And I'm also a mediator and a parenting coordinator. And a good friend of mine, um, Jamie and I have worked together on several mutual clients. And in fact, Jamie has written a book. Um, tell it's it's divorce. Tell us the name of the book. <laughs> so I wrote a book called A Year in a Day: Divorce Without Destruction, and it's actually based upon episodes of the podcast that I host by the same name. It's all about um, providing tips and information for getting through separation and divorce without destroying family relationships or those family finances. And that's a real big issue for um, the large numbers of people that are divorcing right now, especially in the boomer generation. Um, That's my generation, sadly, so it's not something I'm proud of, but it appears as though Um, the divorce rate among boomers is double the general divorce rate, and it's initiated about two-thirds of the time by women. Is that what you're seeing in your practice, Jamie? Yeah, we've definitely seen a large increase in gray divorce for sure, Um, and it does appear that more women are initiating divorces these days. Yeah, I've thought about the reasons for that, because when I think back about my great grandmother, I mean, I can't imagine her initiating a divorce at age 70, for example, but I've had women well into their 70s initiate a divorce. What do you think the big change is? Um, I think a a few things. Um, One of them is that women seem to have more access to resources these days, and they're not necessarily as dependent on their husband for support. And so if they have a little bit of financial freedom, I think it's easier to make that leap. And also, you know, life is short and even at 70, you still have a lot of life left to live. And so you're not necessarily as stuck in a marriage. Um, And I think they just wanna get out there and live life. Yeah, I do think we've added about 10 years to life expectancy since 1960. So that gives people it's not just longer life, it's healthier life. So you can actually travel when you're 75. Whereas back in the day, you might've been in a nursing home. And I also think some of the laws have changed such that a woman who leaves still has access to marital assets. Whereas before she might've been destitute. Is that right? 
Yeah. So now um, if you get separated, at least in North Carolina, you're entitled to an equitable distribution of property, which in most cases works out to be about 50% of those assets. And doesn't matter if they're in your husband's name, if they were acquired during the marriage and were not an inheritance or some other form of separate property, you're entitled to 50% of those. Yeah. So I have heard a lot that people will say finances are the number one cause of divorce. And while I'm not saying that that's not an issue, these high profile cases that we've been seeing like Melinda and Bill Gates or Jeff Bezos and, um, Mackenzie Scott kind of demonstrate that people with wealth are not immune to divorce. Um, what do you make of um, this era that we're in? Do you think any of, have you seen any changes as a result, say, of the pandemic or the economic difficulties that we as a country are encountering? Are you seeing any kind of correlation there between divorce rates? Have you seen them go up, down? What, what does that look like for you? Um, so there have been some interesting trends, I would say. Um, early on in the pandemic, around March of 2020, um, things were slowing up a bit. People, I believe, were, were scared to get separated with all of the unknowns going on in the world. Um, we still had a fair amount of clients who were dealing with custody issues and, you know, issues related to quarantines and things like that. But as we got toward, I would say, the fall of 2020, things really started to pick up. Um, I think with folks having to live together and spending a lot more time together working from home and things, that it really brought a lot of marital issues to a head. And a lot of couples were seeking separation and divorce at the end of 2020. Um, Things have stabilized some, but I would say that we're probably still at a higher level than we were pre-pandemic. So I'm wondering how much of this is just that people deferred getting divorced at the beginning of the pandemic because the world was coming to an end and, you know, you're just kind of huddled in together dealing with adversity from the outside versus how much of it is actually an uptick in divorce rates from having to have spent so much time with a spouse that perhaps you just don't have a lot in common with, but pre-pandemic, you each had your separate lives and you had your jobs and maybe you were even vacationing separately. Now you're stuck together for two years and it just precipitates. I just went out of this. Right. Yeah. I think that's a really good point. In conversations that I've had with marriage therapists about the subject, um, they talk about the pandemic reduced folks exits from the marriage, things like going to the gym or hanging out with your friends or working longer hours at the office. Um, with the pandemic and not being able to do those things, people no longer had the exit that was making the marriage bearable. And because of that, yeah, a lot of those were um, ending in separation. Um, well, it, it's sad. None of us, we're not here promoting divorce, by the way, to anyone, but unfortunately, it's a reality of our day and age. Are you seeing any upticks related to financial instability now, given what the market is doing, what businesses are doing? Uh, we've got record inflation right now and lowered, we had negative GDP for Q1. Are you seeing that impacting divorce rates at all? 
Um, I think that there are a few financial factors that are absolutely impacting um, a person's ability to separate. One of those is, you know, there's a housing shortage. And so it's difficult to separate if you don't have somewhere to go, if you can't find a rental home or if the rental home is just not affordable because the rates have gone up, um, you know, that presents a challenge. Also, we're, you know, as part of divorce, dividing those retirement assets. And if, if those are down right now, that could be a little scary. Um, also with inflation, you know, a dependent spouse who may need alimony from her husband may need a higher amount. There may just not be enough money to go around. I mean, that's the biggest issue. When you are taking one income that is used to run one household, and then you're needing to divide it and run two households, in some cases, there really just isn't enough money to go around. Yeah, I think that's true. And what I find, and you're so good about this, Jamie, you're one of the only attorneys that we work with who actually is looking toward the long-term financial security of your clients. I, we find a lot of times the attorneys, they just don't do anything but split the assets. They're not looking to see, is there a way to negotiate some of the things that aren't obvious? I mean, let's say there's not Let's say there's not enough money to take care of a dependent spouse for the rest of their life, but there are things that you can do by like, like by life insurance or disability insurance. You know, there, there are other ways to skin the cat, but you have to kind of do that in advance of a settlement. You can't wait till after the settlement is over. So what kind of strategies have you used um, to help women to help ensure financial viability. And I say that because if you look at the stats, men generally fare, the provider spouse, I should say, generally fares a lot better post-divorce than the dependent spouse. Well, I think the most important thing as a lawyer is knowing your limits. And I know just enough about some of this financial stuff to be dangerous. And so the first thing that I would do is to send my client to you so that you could help them with a financial plan um, to make sure that they are maximizing the assets they are receiving. I mean, you're right. There is more than one way to skin a cat and 50-50 can look a lot of different ways. And there may be assets that the couple holds that would be more beneficial to the wife. Um, and as the lawyer, I don't know the financial implications of that, but I do know enough to send the person to you so that you can help them with that piece of it. Well, I appreciate that. And not to tout, tout the financial horn, but I can tell you a, a story of a woman who was so pleased she had saved on legal fees. She had used a mediator. It was sort of a um, kitchen table kind of division. And for those of you that don't know, a mediator by law is required not to advise any one side. They're in the middle, right? So she didn't really have good personal legal advice. And she ended up, they split the assets exactly 50-50. He got all the after-tax assets and she got the deferred compensation. She had no idea that deferred compensation had never been taxed. So what she thought was a million dollars actually equated to $700,000. He got a million. And so that actually prevented her from going through with a home purchase that she had already engaged in. And so these kinds of nuances, which may seem obvious to financial people or even legal people, 
are just not that obvious to most people, especially the dependent spouse. So my big encouragement for anybody contemplating a divorce is to pull together the team before you even pull the trigger, before you even have a conversation with your spouse. See if this is something you can even afford to do. See what your rights are and plan it before pulling the trigger. Would you agree with that? Oh, absolutely. A hundred percent. It's so important to know what to expect. And divorce is very complicated. Um, there are so many facets that need to be considered and taken care of. You know, there is the financial aspect, there is the legal aspect, and there's also the emotional aspect. And so I encourage my clients when assembling their team, you know, if they've come to me, they've found the lawyer, but they also need somebody to help them with the financial piece. And that's where an advisor comes in. Um, and oftentimes they need a psychologist or a counselor or someone they can talk to about the emotional piece because we need our clients to be emotionally healthy so that we can help them make good decisions about the financial and legal aspects of their case. Yeah, and, and, and to the point about an attorney or a financial advisor, it's best to get your own. Like it doesn't really make sense to use the family attorney or right. the family advisor, generally that financial advisor, and I can't speak to the legal, you can, Jamie, is kind of buddied up with the person who is in charge of the long-term finances, the investment assets, usually the breadwinner of the family. So if you're a dependent spouse, going to that broker, let's say, is probably, that, that's not an objective person who can help you. You, you need somebody who's exclusively on your team. And I would say the same with the um, legal, but I'll let you speak to that, Jamie. Yeah. So when it comes to family law, one lawyer can't represent both spouses. And so, you know, the best way to find a lawyer, you know, there's lots of ways, but ask your friends and family if they've used someone and they were happy with them. You know, the internet, there's lots of information about there about different types of lawyers. But yeah, you definitely need somebody who is on your side and advocating for you and your rights. Just like a therapist or a psychologist, you know, you want your own person to help you with your own future. Um, I, I wrote a book several years ago, I think it was in 2017, and it was called Gray Divorce Silver Linings. So it was a book completely dedicated to boomer women going through a divorce. A second edition of that is coming out in the next couple of months. And the reason for that is because we had a big tax law change in 2017 that changed the taxability of alimony. So what alimony used to be taxable to the recipient and deductible to the payer, that changed such that it's not taxable or deductible. I'm curious, Jamie, what you've seen happen to alimony since that tax law change. Has it gone down, up, stayed the same? What, what's your experience? So I think it has made it easier for divorce professionals to calculate the amount of support that a dependent spouse needs. So that's been a, a positive change. I think what the tax law change took away was the incentive for the payor spouse to perhaps 
pay more in alimony because they were getting that tax break and that's gone. Um, you know, you can't take advantage of the fact anymore that the dependent spouse was usually in a lower tax bracket and was going to feel a little bit less of that tax pain. Um, and the supporting spouse was getting the benefit of, of the tax break. So I think it could have impacted it in that way. Yeah, and anecdotally, so this isn't based on a study, but anecdotally, what I'm finding is that alimony is less attractive to the payer, and they're willing to pay less, which isn't necessarily a great thing for the dependent spouse. Um, however, as, as an advocate for women, if at all possible, I always prefer a lump sum division of assets and no alimony. Most of our um, viewers may not know this, but alimony doesn't grow with inflation typically. It's typically a disincentive for the dependent spouse to go out and get a job because if they start earning an income, it reduces the alimony. So in a way, it kind of shackles that dependent spouse from truly starting over again and not being dependent on the ex-spouse. And I think also it can I've seen a couple of situations where the woman has to choose, or the dependent spouse, I should say, most often the woman has to choose between love or money because if remarriage occurs, the alimony stops, but it also stops if there's any kind of cohabitation typically, which most people don't realize. So all of a sudden, you know, five years down the road, you meet the love of your life, you, you either have to not spend more than three nights together or some such thing or not get married or not get the alimony, which is not a real great decision, right? I was going to say that, you know, the sad part, at least in North Carolina, is that cohabitation is a gray area and it can look a whole lot like just a regular adult dating relationship. And so you really do have to be mindful of the number of overnights you're spending with your significant other um, and alimony can sometimes keep you tethered to your ex-spouse and give them an incentive to keep tabs on you because, you know, it's to their benefit if you cohabit or if you remarry because then their alimony obligation stops. So, you know, to the extent, especially in a higher asset case, if there is a way to shift more of the assets to who would otherwise be the dependent spouse, you know, alimony may not be necessary. Yeah, and I find, and I sadly have worked with hundreds of divorcing women and I work with them post-divorce generally or starting at the divorce and then later on um, with financial planning and investment management, I find that the women who do the best are the ones that have a clean break. They're the ones that go on and find new relationships or get remarried or go back to school or start their own businesses because they don't have this alimony issue hanging over their head, which is even more attractive now because there's sort of a disincentive for the payor because there's not the tax break. Right. Yeah. So um, any other thoughts that you want to leave our audience with here today um, in terms of divorce in today's environment? I know that, um, for example, one of the ways that I've seen the dependent spouse get really injured in a divorce is through closely held business valuations. What do you see right now, given the current economy about that? 
Um, I think it was a bigger issue in 2020. Um, I think that the folks who probably suffered the most were those who got separated in early 21. And so they were looking at, you know, middle of the pandemic valuations when business was down, had to account for, you know, PPP loan funds and all of those things. I think it was more complicated. I think we're stepping away from that and things are starting to normalize a bit in terms of the business valuations. Yeah, I think so. But um, generally speaking, these closely held family businesses, the valuations, I had, I had a case one time where the valuation of the company came in at 20% of what it was sold for within six months. So you're basing that asset division on a much sometimes lower number than what the reality is. So I would always advise uh, an external valuation and at least two or three and taking an average of that number to, to determine the value of that asset. Yeah, about business valuations in divorce can be tricky. Um, they're expensive. They take a long time to complete. And while there is a methodology to it, you know, it's not an exact science, just like exactly. valuing anything. And so, yeah, you could absolutely end up with different values for sure. Yeah. Well, I really thank you for being here with us. I hope that anyone in our audience who's considering something like this will take your advice and my advice and contact a um, competent legal professional contact a financial advisor that's your own, not the, not the family financial advisor, and potentially seek um, <clears throat> therapy or psychological support as you're going through this very important transition in life. Absolutely. I think assembling your team to assist you through the process is the most important thing that you can do to help yourself. Thank you, Jamie. Thanks for being with us today. Thank you. Holly Madasser, CPA, is a partner and senior wealth management advisor at Stearns Financial Group, an investment management firm with offices in Chapel Hill in Greensboro, North Carolina. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities, LLC, member FINRA, SIPC. Hightower Advisors, LLC, is an SEC-registered investment advisor. Refer to brokercheck.finra.org for more information. This podcast is copyrighted and all rights are reserved. The content of this podcast is for information only and not intended to serve as financial, legal, medical, or any other form of professional advice.